Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Dan. Episode number 247, recorded September 5th, 2016. Today we're back in DC Comics Volume 1, getting kind of close to the end, but we're doing issues 46 through 48 of that run. Hmm. So... Maybe it was okay it was towards the end. I hate to say that, but at least two of these comics weren't that great. Yeah, they are. They're not, they're not perfect. No. But, but, uh, but they actually do show the team interrelating to each other in uh, situations that are not necessarily life and death. Where, right. So it's kind of a break from that kind of thing. We get to have a few small moments and, you know, people just doing what people do. Having parties. Going skiing. No. You know, <laughs> stuff that won't, maybe some camping and eating marshmallows. That would never make it into a movie. Oh, never. <laughs> Unless it was a really bad one. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways. Um, so, yeah. And this, this uh, issue number 48 is the debut of one of our favorite uh, Star Trek writers, uh, Peter David. Yes. And really surprising. Surprising and how much you love him? Surprising <laughs> oh, that I, this is his debut. Love Peter David. It's just the uh, the story that he wrote for issue 48 was not the best thing in the world. And I'm used to excellence from Peter David. I, I'm used to really liking the stuff that Peter David puts out, as a rule. Right. But eh, he, This was his first Star Trek, so give him a second. Okay, there you go. But then okay. he's going to wow you. <laughs> he's going to wow you. Well, he's going to wow you, all right. All right. All right, well, you want to jump on into the first issue, number 46? Yeah, we might as well. All right. Well, I have the honors of doing this one. It is entitled Getaway, and it came out January of 1988. The writing staff was Mark Carlin as the writer, Tom Sutton as the penciler, Ricardo Villagran as the inker, Helen Vesic as the letterer, Michelle Wolfman colorist, and Robert Greenberger was the editor. The cover shows McCoy, Sulu, and Kirk walking away from a large group of people. The crew members look like they're ready for some fun. They have some duffel bags, and McCoy's even carrying some skis. The caption reads, Shore leave? It's actually not a question. It just says shore leave. Sorry about that. <laughs> All right, so the story starts with the Enterprise arriving at Kristoff 9, and the crew is being released for some shore leave, hence the, the cover, I guess. Uh, the whole crew is waiting in line patiently for Scotty to beam them all down, you know, five or six at a time. Sulu, Chekhov, McCoy, and Hora do something completely out of character. They are pushing their way to the front of the line in front of everybody who's been waiting there all day. Not only are they doing this, but they're almost making a big show out of it. Bearclaw sees this, and he's disgusted by the display. And for once, I have to find myself agreeing with Bearclaw. It is disgusting to see them act that way. 
Kirk then shows up, and the five of them jump up on the platform and basically tell everybody waiting in line to suck it, and they beam on down. Once they're down on the planet, everyone on the planet starts fawning over the great and powerful Kirk. He is secretly loving the attention, and he does not realize that a paper someone asked him to sign is not an autograph book, but actually a federal order to have the black suit-wearing dude oversee the Enterprise for the next few missions. For some reason, Kirk sees this as a slight on his manhood and does not want the other crew to see that he will have an advisor. And he literally runs away from the guy saying, If you can't catch me, you can't watch me. He doesn't actually say that, but that's the general gist. So while Kirk is running off, he's actually pushing aside crew members that are already on the planet and some natives that just happen to be in the building. One of the couples that he runs past is Ensign Bryce and her Klingon lover, Konam. The Klingon is already agitated about being there, it seems. And when some of the locals start name-calling and throwing things at the dirty, rotten Klingon, he has a flashback. It seems that the people have a right to be upset at the Klingons. There was a war here recently with a band of Klingons, and several of the natives were killed. Not only were there evil Klingons on the planet, but Konum himself was among them. He tried to disobey a commander who was telling him to kill the civilians. But he got caught, and he was forced to kill a small girl himself. Konum snaps out of his flashback, and the couple makes their way away from the other people. Meanwhile, McCoy, Sulu, Chekhov, and Ohura are making their way out of the building to do some sand skiing. Bearclaw is watching them, and he thinks to himself that he doesn't want to go with them even if they would have asked. They didn't ask, but if they did, he would much rather play video games all by himself than to go with those uncool senior staff members who don't even invite him. He's very pouty. For the rest of the story, uh, several things happen in a montage where we're jumping back and forth, so I kind of condensed it all into just some bullet points. So Kirk is eventually caught by the suited guy and forced to have some coffee with the man. Kirk learns that his name is Herbert, and that they've actually met before. It takes Kirk a while to figure out who he is, but this is the same hippie guy from the episode The Way of Eden. In that episode, he had the hippie name of Tongo, and he called other people Herbert who he thought were squares. Now, he is a square, and he's using his God-given name of Herbert. Kirk sees this as a valid excuse for some reason to defy Federation orders, and he ditches the man. Meanwhile, the rest of the senior staff is sand skiing. Everybody loves that McCoy is hating all this dangerous sports stuff. And they laugh and they jeer, and they say that this is payback for McCoy taking them out on camping on the last shore leave. They all hated the camping, it seems. But please note that this all happens before Star Trek V, where they all seem to like camping quite a lot. Well, while everybody is mocking McCoy, he hits a tree and he shatters his leg. They cannot get a beam up, so they use the skis to create a makeshift gurney and carry the doctor away. Meanwhile in the building, Bearclaw stops his whining about not being invited to senior staff parties, and he starts talking to the young Ensign Shearwood, and the two seem to hit it off. Even when Sulu and Chekhov invite the pair to replace McCoy and Ahura, the two would rather spend time together. And lastly, Konum and Bryce talk, and Bryce says that 
he did all those things back then and he had no other option. But he's a different person now. Feeling better, he takes it upon himself to ask this human woman to marry him, which she agrees to do so. So the story ends with Kirk so worried that Herbert will somehow find him again and make his way onto the ship that he cancels everybody's shore leave and orders them back to the ship. Everyone stops all the fun they're doing and rushes to the transporter building and starts beaming up. Once Scotty performs a few miracles since he was not ready for the beaming, everyone's back on board. Kirk is the last one to return to the ship and does so just as Herbert runs into the transporter room. Kirk has escaped and he orders the ship away at top speed because nobody likes a Herbert. The end. Wow. Good one, right? Wow. Trouble when you want to have an original episode tie-in to a third season episode. And quite frankly, I think one of the more mediocre to poor third season episodes, uh, The Way to Eden, that particular episode used to annoy me. Uh, I don't understand why. It's good. No! <laughs> really? <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, when they were, like, sitting there in the transporter room going, Herbert, 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 and, uh, and Kirk is like, uh, and then he, like, storms out of the, the, the room, uh, the transporter room. It's like, eh. And then actually it's kind of funny because later, because I, I went back to the episode to watch it. Uh, oh, did you? It. I did. Because I wanted to remind <laughs> myself of exactly which guy he was. And he's the main guy, right? The one with the the, the white, cauliflower white ear? White wig? Yeah. Well, okay. No, 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 not that guy. Okay, so so there's the doctor, not Seven. But Severin or Severin, something like that. Yeah, something right. Like that. And then there's the hippies. Right. Well, they're all hippies. But then there's the younger hippies. And so I guess he was the lead guy that said more than anybody else. Right. Maybe. Yeah, the okay. one with the head like the, I don't know, almost like an Afro type hair, right? Yeah, obviously a wig. Right. Yeah, okay. Very, very curly, longish hair. Uh, blonde. Wasn't it blonde? I thought it was Whatever white. Whatever it was. But, okay, white. Yeah. But it's like, oh, that was so – there was actually a pretty good scene where – Kurt, I don't know what. Did you go back and watch it again? No. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get off of this in a second. <laughs> there, there's a scene where uh, Kirk is asking, like timidly, Spock, "What's what's a Herbert?" <laughs> <laughs> and Spock is like, um, uh, like not wanting to tell Kirk that uh, it, what it is, and then he he describes what it is, very you know, stuttering and whatever. It was kind of a an uncomfortable but kind of funny moment. I kind of liked it, uh, that part of it. But well, the rest of the episode was bleh. So Spock, of all people, knew what a Herbert was. He did. Now, whether he checked linguistics banks or what, I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, in that episode, Spock was the cool guy, right? You know? Right, if you remember. You know, Kirk was the authority figure. He was right. the man. And then Spock was the cool guy that the uh, the hippies liked. So... <laughs> That is hilarious. Yeah, and why they chose this, I don't know. And so the, he looks like Humpty Dumpty. So talk about changing your look from something that looked ridiculous to something that looks truly bad. Right. So he does just like a little tuft of hair at the very top, and right. then everything else is shaved. Yeah. And the collar is upturned, actually so high up that it like uh, it's like up to his earlobes. Yeah, lobes. way high. Can't. It does not look comfortable. Right. 
Yeah, and, and and look at look at how big his head is. Yeah, he looks a little Humpty Dumpty like. Yeah, in some in some panels, some panels he looks more normal. But there's one in particular where Kirk's talking to him, and you see him like from kind of the side back, and his head is huge. <laughs> right. Yeah, it, it was not a flattering picture. So the leader of the hippies, or I'm assuming I'm going to call him the leader in that episode, yeah, right? But his name was Herbert, and he they used that as the uh, insult for people who were authority. So he used his own well, name as an insult for everybody else, and well, then now we know that that was his, his real name. His real name was Herbert. Well, okay. Supposedly Herbert – this was Spock's, part of Spock's exclamation – was a low-level bureaucrat that drew the ire – I guess of the hippie group or the outer space hippie group or whatever, and they and that they they named all people who they didn't like that were like in positions of power or whatever as after that guy Herbert. So it wasn't named after the hippie; it was named after some bureaucrat they didn't like. But now we know that the hippie's name was Herbert as well. Well, I'm not sure whether I th- I think he just took on the name Herbert. Oh, really? I don't think that's necessarily his name. Um, but definitely from the TV episode, the word Herbert didn't come from one of the hippies. It came from a bureaucrat. Anyway. Right. So, so now here, one of the hippies has gone straight, and he's a bureaucrat now, <laughs> basically. Yeah. And he is actually apparently taken on uh, the moniker of what he hated when he was young. Well, he says, yes, well, Herbert is my real name, ah. though that's neither here nor there now. That's, so that's what Herbert says here. Well, that's coincidental who, then. Who was Tango Rand in the uh, original, the, the, the hit main hippie guy. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyways, I, I I just thought pretty. That was stretching it. And I yeah. don't care. I don't care how dorky this guy is. I I don't care that you've he was a hippie in the past and now he's trying to get on your ship, right, to oversee you or whatever. Right. That doesn't give you a reason to defy Federation orders or uh, to end all your crew's shore leave. Just because you don't want to put up with this guy, Kirk's motivations do not seem very admirable. No, and he even says, what will the, what will the crew think of me if I have an advisor? And I'm like, who, who cares? cares? You've had advisors in dozens of TV episodes. I've seen you. And then you, every episode, you're like either sleep with them or you get one up <laughs> on them or whatever. <laughs> well, with that, this that, is not that, a new story. Yeah. They're actually in the comics. Oh, was well, that's later. That's later. Where that brunette girl. Okay. Well, yeah, that's volume two. Okay. Well, they retreaded the same idea for that. Right. Only in that case, she was a very attractive brunette. Yeah. What was her name? Oh, I don't goodness. remember. I forgot but her name. Is she the one with like the shock of white hair? Right. Exactly. And all the black hair. Right. And she had some very interesting outfits. Yeah, I liked her. Exactly. Yeah. She was more mature. Kind right. of uh, foil for Kirk to be. Right. Uh, she wasn't. Her. She wasn't a Herbert. <laughs> <laughs> True. This guy does look annoying, but come on, Kirk. And if yeah. you really want to ditch the guy, then don't. I mean, okay. So this entire book just reminded me of a stupid, lame Archie comic. 
<laughs> and, and and I just have to say because if I ever read an Archie comic, it was when I was a kid, and I really don't remember much about it. But this just seems like it's like an Archie comic. It's like people are doing things for lame reasons, and it's just kind of wacky. Uh, it's like especially when McCoy gets into trouble, he and he like. ends up and he ends up hurting himself, and it's like. Oh my God! This is like this is like Jughead, you know, in that time doing something wacky, and then he ends up hurting himself, and you know, it's like ah, I, mm, I just, I just didn't like the story. Sorry. Don't apologize to me. I didn't write it. Yeah. You need to contact. Uh, what Michael? What was his name? Michael Car- uh, Carlin. Yeah, Carlin. Yeah, Michael. It's like ah, ew, not too crazy about it. These characters are not doing what you expect them to do. Right. Now, the one saving grace this issue does have, yeah, and I wish they would have spent more time on it, mm-hmm. is Conan's story. We oh, always, we always yeah. know that he was this Klingon that that you know is more of a pacifist Klingon, and he didn't get along with his uh, superiors in right. the past. And then here we are, he's having flashbacks, and he's on the planet where he probably did the worst thing in his whole life. He actually killed this little girl. Yeah. So he rightfully should be feeling remorse, because that's that's the kind of character he is. He's a peaceful Klingon, and he did do this horrible thing, and he feels really bad about it. It gets resolved with a one conversation. Oh, Conan, that's not who you are anymore. Forget about it. And then... Immediately, he's like, marry me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I'm like, I would have loved to have a little bit more uh, character development there. You know, you know, how did he really move through these horrible um, things? And is it possible he could have, uh, you know, made it up to the citizens somehow of Kristoff 9? I don't know. I don't know how he could do like, that. Right. But, yeah. I mean, in his mind, he could have, like, did something, you know, that right. that actually helped benefited the colony, you know, to make some Atonement. sort of recompense, yeah. But yeah, instead it's just like all's good. Yeah, Let's and get and, back to the blank ship. And I do agree that that was a <laughs> that was a pretty powerful bit. And and let me say that I just get the feeling that that's the kind of thing that maybe Michael Carlin did not come up with but was something they wanted to finally explain what finally pushed Konam to the point that he would uh, leave his people. Because you can be a pacifist and stuff, but it, to actually make the decision that you're going to leave your people and everything, you know, maybe something really has to push you over the edge. And this right. probably was the incident that pushed him over the edge. So that, that is a good part of, the, part of the issue. Thumbs up. I just wish it was more. I wish they would have developed it more. Right. Now on the other set, on the other hand, all the interaction between Bryce and him up until the point that where he finally exposes uh, the past and tells her what what happened, it was just total soap operaville. It's like the suds were flowing, and I hated it. <laughs> it just it just reminded me of some kind of soap opera comic book thing. You know what they were like, you know, back in the 60s or something. It's some right. kind of just like, Tom and Mary, will they ever be together? It's like, oh, my God. It's the last kind of thing I want. It, it, it's just the way the dialogue was going. 
It right. just it just made my skin crawl. It's like, God, this is the kind of stuff I hate. Anyway, well, they they're going to be together. Seems pretty definite now. Yeah, yeah. We may actually see something about that before uh, we're done with our episode here. Right. Yeah. So really soap opery, really whatever. Just not crazy about it. Seeing more of Bear Claw. Being, you know, skidding inside of Bear Claw's head and seeing what a whiny little, you know, whatever he can be. I don't want to be with them. Yeah. I don't need to be with them. I'd, I'd rather be over here playing this video game. Yeah, right. Really? I don't think so. <laughs> and uh, so I just for a moment, that video game he was playing. So it looked like it was like like planes, like old, like World War One planes or something. Right. Planes or something. Yeah, biplanes, yeah. That are kind of uh, actually like 3D, kind of in front of you, kind of thing. Yeah, you know, holographic. There you go. So not a display or something, but more of a holographic kind of thing. Um, but it still looked kind of like, eh. you know, one was all red and one was all blue or something. Um, I'd play it. Yeah, I'd play it too. It's just, uh, <laughs> it's like, at least they try to make it look futuristic, but it was like. They still made it simplistic. So I guess it worked. I mean, it got the point across. They didn't have a joystick or uh, a display, so that's good. Um, <laughs> actually, they did a... have a joystick. They had some kind yeah. of control thing, didn't they? Yeah, but his hands are kind of like hovering over it, so I don't really understand how he's controlling it. But... Oh, so maybe it was more like a minority report, Tom Cruise. Yeah, thing. there you go. Okay. So that would have been more advanced. Anyway, I just thought that was kind of interesting. It is funny that when he hits it because he loses or whatever, it says tilt. Ah! <laughs> I mean, how many people will we'll catch that joke now? I mean, with uh, exactly. pinball not being all that popular anymore. No. no. But for you kids out there, in pinball, <laughs> if you shake the machine too much, it will register it as a tilt and you lose you lose your ball. Right, because basically that's cheating. Right. I mean, you're you're trying to influence the path of the heavy ball and that's kind of cheating and if you do a little bit it's a there's an art form to it so if you do a little bit of it that's part of the game but if you take it too far dealt you lose right there goes your ball yeah i used to play a uh, harlem globetrotter pinball game quite a bit and it had a very sensitive uh tilt oh well, that's not you fun. could just barely hit it and it would be like tilt yeah well that's no fun that's part of the game. A little tilting's part of the game. I mean, a little bit of manipulation's part of the game. Right. I, I, like I said, I hate to agree that I bear claw uh, comment on when they were all like pushing their ways to the front, uh, oh. and I have to agree with bear claw. They are totally being jerks. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and they would have never done that. I mean, no. for one, I've never seen everybody line up the whole ship line up to be beamed down. That that's new to me. Right. But then for them to be like, Rank has privileges, suckers. <laughs> and then, <laughs> I wish Suck I was making that up. Yeah. That's a line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they are totally rude and just pushing their way to the front. And Bear Claw's calling them on it, or at least in his head, he's calling them on it. And I'm like, oh, my God, I hate to agree with him. Yeah. He's such a jerk. Well, it, it kind of reminds you of like Archie. And like teenagers or very young people that are just so excited about getting that fun thing that they're just like, 
being jerks. And that's right. like these people never do that. And they're mature. I mean, McCoy's in his 50s or something. It's like, no. Anyway. Mm. Or whatever. whatever he might was. be higher than that by then. Yeah, right. So anyways, um, like I said, I really liked the uh, the Conum part. Just yeah. wish they would have done more with it. Yeah. And, I mean, Bearclaw and um, Shearwood, I mean, I guess it's kind of cool that he finds somebody. Right. But too bad for her. I mean, she has to be suckered with him. Exactly. I mean, don't you see him as kind of like, I don't know, a tank top t-shirted, you know, wife beater or something in the end? (laughs) He just seems so angry and everything and so so ready to do violence. It's like, oh, my God, girl, you, you better watch yourself. Right, well, she's man. fallen in love with Vacation Bearclaw. Wait till uh, she gets up back <laughs> on the ship and she realizes that that uh, non-Vacation Bearclaw is not that much fun to be around. No, no. But uh, surprising that they're kind of digging each other on the basis of liking books. Um, you know, he doesn't a, like them. What well, he? No, he he knows the same uh, series of books as she does. Only because I mean, he watched the about movies. It. Oh, oh! Did he say that? I, like, I never read the books. I only watched the movies. And oh, did like, he say that? Oh, okay. Well, they call it something else, Hollow Vids or something like that. Right, 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 movies. right, right. Okay. Anyway, but, but it's, it seems a little bit more intellectual than I was expecting from Bearclaw. Right. But then when Chekhov and Sulu walked up to him and said, "Hey, uh, would you guys want to replace McCoy and Uhura since we still have you know the tickets open?" To go on the slopes, I would have loved it if Bearclaw was like, uh, "No, I'm good." And then Sherwood to go, "Oh yes, I've always wanted to go snow uh, sand skiing." <laughs> and then Bearclaw be like, "Go!" Right. Oh, I wanted that so bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's got a girlfriend now. Is, oh, a girlfriend. Hopefully, hopefully this will mellow him out. You know. Well, I've read Forty Eight, and maybe it doesn't. No. <laughs> so, how about towards the end? The look of Scotty in his T-shirt. Uh, yeah, he's muscular. He's he's big man. I mean, and not as in fat. He's like, he's like mu- exactly muscular. It's like he looks right. like a a longshoreman or something. And he's got the khaki T-shirt too. So right. he almost looks like he's like some army uh, army sergeant or something that right. you would not want to be messing with. You do not want to mess with that guy. No, that's not a Scotsman you want to start a fight with. No, 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 indeed. Yeah. No, it, uh, it was not the way I picture uh, Jimmy Doohan without the shirt. No. But well, what, I mean, what do I know? Scotty was uh, back in the Taws days. Uh, you know, he he was a decently, he was in good shape, but mm-hmm. nothing like that. He was never that big. Anyway, interesting choices. Okay. What else? By you got? Tom Sutton. I got nothing else. All right, we want to go on to forty-seven. Let's do that. Let's let's go ahead and ex, uh, experience these idle threats, which is the title of issue number forty-seven. Published date February nineteen eighty-eight. Writer Michael Carlin again. Actually, I think, well, almost everybody's the same. Penciler Tom Sutton, inker Ricardo Vilgran, letterer Helen Vesk, colorist Michelle Wolfman, editor Robert Greenberger. The cover presents a space battle between a green enemy ship 
that looks like a Klingon ship that is firing upon a starship's saucer section. The Enterprise appears to be next to the other Starfleet ship uh, that is taking the disruptor blasts. The issue opens up on a planet's surface where Captain Fields of the USS Cluster is in a firefight. His landing party has been ambushed by Romulans. They are outnumbered, and his people are dropping like flies. He is able to contact the junior officer at the con named Penn. He tells him the landing party is all dead except for him, and to get the ship away from the planet with shields up all the way. The communications is cut short when the Romulans find and kill him. But before they do, they tell the captain he is trespassing on Romulan-claimed territory. Meanwhile on the cluster, Commander Penn gives the order to beam his captain up. A steaming skeleton arrives on the transporter pad. Penn gets angry and invokes Kirk's name and his legendary tendency to break every rule in the book to save his crew. He goes against Captain Field's orders and calls for battle stations. He wants some payback for his captain. A female lieutenant named Ventura points out his actions are not only against Captain Field's orders, but goes against regulations. They need to try every other option first before attacking. Penn does not care and tells her to address him as Captain and follow his orders as if he was Kirk himself. Ventura is the comm officer, so she transmits a signal explaining the situation for other Starfleet ships to hear. Luckily, Ohura picks up the signal, explains the situation, and says the captain is endangering his crew, saying his actions are inspired by Captain Kirk. After some back and forth, Kirk finally gives the orders to get to the source of those transmissions. Meanwhile, the cluster is engaging a Romulan ship. Commander Penn orders shields down to bait the Romulan in, just like Kirk would do. The Romulans do come in close, but they also fire. The cluster takes heavy damage, but Penn orders fire all weapons. The barrage inflicts significant damage on the Romulan ship, or at least appears to, but only after taking significant damage with multiple crew members dead on the cluster. Penn is sweating and appears to be a bit insane in response to a report on the dead crewman. Penn says he bets they killed a lot more Romulans. Another signal is sent by Ventura that the Enterprise receives. Hearing the cluster is taking damage, Kirk orders increased speed to warp 6. Though damaged, no vital systems were adversely affected on the Romulan ship. They hail the cluster and find the very young Commander Penn at the con. The Romulans are surprised and laugh at the youth in command, despite Penn's attempts to intimidate the Romulans into surrender. The laughter ends, and the Romulan ship appears to move to attack, but instead the Romulan commander and his men beam onto the bridge of the cluster. They have guns drawn and capture the bridge. Commander Penn realizes he blew it, when one of his bridge crew reminds him that the shields are still down from his original order to drop them, so of course they were able to transport over. However, Penn perks up and attempts a corbomite maneuver, 
which works with the underlings, but not with the Romulan commander. The Romulan commander starts shooting wildly, barely missing the Starfleet crew. Just as the Romulans look like they are going to start hurting people, Kirk and a security detail beam onto the ship. The Romulan commander backs down and offers to leave both Federation ships go as long as they leave the disputed area immediately. Kirk counters, saying that they all need to travel to the nearest star base and document what actually happened here. Penn will not have it and ends up firing on the Romulans with his phaser, despite Kirk's orders to stand down. Kirk wrestles the phaser out of the whelp's hand. In the melee, the Romulans beam back to their ship and depart. Kirk says to let them go, as he focuses on his discipline problem with Penn. Penn finally admits his errors. I'm sorry. Kirk sends the cluster on, amazingly, with their routine mission, while Kirk and the Enterprise head deeper into unknown space. The end. So they were just sent sent away? Yeah. Well, on with their mission. On with their, which apparently was some kind of a pretty routine mission. What? Check up on the colonists? Whatever. Right. Kind of thing. Which makes me wonder, what the heck was the... Well, okay, before I go on, off on a on a rant there, what do you think? Um, yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> it, it's all over the place. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I kind of liked the guy, uh, th- you know, mis- misinterpreting what Kirk does. I, I kind of dug that. I thought that was good. Yeah. Well, you may not hear all the details of what Kirk does, but you hear the cliff notes that are passed from person to person, and it takes on a life of its own. Right, right. Which makes sense. I mean, we, we, we've all seen Star Trek, and we know that uh, we know that Kirk does break the, the rules a lot. And you could see how somebody could just hear that part and not know all the backstory and just assume that Kirk's just always changing the rules as he goes. Exactly. Not ever listening to regulations. I mean, he does follow regulations, but he knows when to bend them, which to some degree is sh- is Captain's prerogative. Um, yeah. Kind of like how when someone named Herbert is assigned to your ship with Federation orders, you can just ignore it. <laughs> you really don't like that, do you? <laughs> it just doesn't make sense. <laughs> well, I mean, but come on. What? When you think about it from a, what's the purpose of it? Okay, um, Kirk is the Kirk is a hero of the Federation. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he he goes off and sometimes doesn't do what the what his superiors say, but in the end, he ends up doing pretty much the right thing and getting the right results. So, what's the point of Herbert even being there? I don't know, but that was last issue, so we should just drop it. Okay. Oh, uh, it, it's, it's my fault. I shouldn't have brought it back up. Just yeah. And by the way, I had the feeling that maybe Herbert would have somehow been able to be beamed over at the last minute, so he ends up getting on board, and we'd be seeing him. But apparently not. Right. Well, we didn't mention it, but Scotty does pretend like the transporter's broken after that last beam out. Yeah. Well. <sighs> yeah, but he was trying to get the uh, the guy actually on the planet to beam him up. Right. She was pretty much saying, forget about it. 
but who knows? Anyway, I, I'm just as happy because Herbert did not look like a character that I would want to see around. Right. Right. Okay, back to this one, though. Okay, my first question about this one is, what the heck was Captain Fields doing? I mean, was it okay? Was this truly just a routine beam down to the planet? Never been to the planet before. We're just checking out the planet, and then you get ambushed. It could have been that, but then, like in his last words, he's talking about, "Oh, I really blew it this time," and you know, almost like he had something going on while they were at that planet that maybe he shouldn't have been doing. Right. Um. And it was like, I was thinking at first, like, well, w- does he actually know something about the Romulans being here? Or does he have some kind of ulterior motive thing he's doing that may not be 100% in line with his orders? I don't know. But they never they never followed up with that. And maybe it's because I'm reading something that's not there. And it really was just the ambush situation. But it seemed like the captain was, like, more was going on. Right. Well, and then doesn't the kid act kind of like it was his call? Like he feels guilty or something? And I didn't quite understand yeah, that either. Yeah, right. Like maybe he whispered in the ear of the captain about something. Um, right. And, and and maybe was this like a risky planet to go to because there were some Romulan sightings? Unconfirmed Romulan sightings? I don't know. Yeah, it wasn't clear. I had the same questions. Yeah. Anyway. So the idea that this this pen would I mean he's like he's he's sweating and they've they've got a close up look and he kinda looks like Anthony Perkins towards the end of uh you know, Psycho or something. The guy really looks like he's whacked. And and then at the the end Kirk just gives him a little you know, rap on the on the knuckles with a with a ruler and then sends him on his way. Really? I bet Ventura's right. pretty pissed. They he, they should put Ventura in charge. She makes a better captain than you, pal. No, yeah, she's the one that. Yeah, no, she she saved all their lives. Really, yeah, exactly. Yeah, if Kirk wasn't, if if Kirk and company hadn't shown up when they did. Yeah, so I mean, so we don't know what caused the fight, but somehow several Federation crew members are dead. And he keeps bragging about how many Romulans he killed with his great maneuvers. Um, so with all that death and destruction and ill will now with the Romulans, you would think that they would need to do more than just go to Christoph Nine to fill out some routine reports. Uh, I just really puzzled on on that ending. Yeah. And I don't know. You think it's going to come back? I don't think it's going to come backwards. Well, how many more issues have we got? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, more than a few. Okay. Okay. Well, I thought they it didn't goes get... to fifty six. So oh, fifty six. Okay. So um, I I'm gonna guess it's, this is episodic, so we're not gonna see this again. But I could be wrong. Right. Or maybe we'll see more Romulan conflict going on. I don't know. Right. But I, I really don't think it's going to be triggered by this incident. Right. All right. Well, yeah, so this guy just gets away with, with murder. Yeah, right. Yeah, how, how do you feel, Commander Penn, about all those uh, crewmen you're going to have to go and see now that the uh, everything's settled down again? Yeah, and he definitely won't be in charge. 
Uh, yeah, you're well, right. Well, they kind of left it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They... No, I, you left uh, it that he is in charge, but yeah. there's no reason he should be. No, not at all. He should be drummed out of Starfleet. Well, not only that, but whoever – I mean, Federation would send a, a, another captain. They, just because your captain dies doesn't immediately mean you get promoted. Right. But but you Kirk could have said, get to the nearest star base. Right. And that's what, I think that's what he should have done. Well, he says Kristoff 9, which was where they were the episode before. So that kind of seemed like a Federation outpost of some sort, right? Well, yeah, but they made it sound like it was just uh, – it was – you know, continue, they're going to continue with their routine mission. So it sounds like they're going to go to – I mean what their mission was, how many stops they were supposed to make, I have no idea. But I had the impression that, yeah, they're going to go ahead and complete their mission, which could have been going to a couple different routine locations, restock, resupply, you know, whatever. Maybe colony stuff. I don't know. Mm. I don't know. But, yeah, it doesn't make sense. does not make sense. Right. Okay. Well, maybe you're right. So I'm reading the thing at the end. Sending the cluster towards Kristoff 9 for routine reports. And the like. Yeah, so maybe that is... Maybe you're right on that. Okay, so I'm less critical then. If right. that is really where they well, but make still, their reports. For, and That doesn't sound like a lot of... Uh, it sounds like they need more than that. Well, they need to be drummed out of Starfleet. Well, okay. Just file but a report. Obviously, there's a, there is a Federation presence there. Um, yeah, Herbert. <laughs> <laughs> so... They're going to make their reports there, and then that's probably where things are going to start happening. Right. Anyway. So I noticed how the cluster has a Vulcan helmsman with a Fu Manchu mustache that looks amazingly like Spock. Mirror Spock? <laughs> uh, not, not quite Mirror Spock. I mean, the, 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 the mustache is a little different. But I guess it's kind of towards Mirror Spock, a bit towards mirror spock anyway so I, I guess that's just the way you 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 draw vulcans like spock and then just to make sure nobody thinks it is spock you put a you put hair on them mm. the i didn't spot. notice i'm i'm trying to find i think it's towards the beginning towards the beginning yeah or when you first you know start seeing them reacting to the uh, attack yeah there it is it's on page four so the same page, by the way, oh, where, yes, you, yeah, where no. you see the, the, the steaming skeletal corpse of the captain. I should have mentioned that. That's pretty, that's pretty cool. It's pretty gruesome. It's very gruesome, but it's pretty cool. I mean, it's even more kind of ooky than, uh, than the smoking Aunt Beru and Uncle Owen in, <laughs> in the original Star Wars. Because they right. were skeletons. This one still has some steaming flesh on the bones. Right. And his boots are still intact. And right. the bottom part of his, uh, his, his pants. <laughs> I think it's pretty cool. It is cool. Yeah. If you're into that kind of stuff. Well, I mean, yeah. Anyway, not, I mean, it's, it's really kind of not PG-13. I mean, it's pretty... It's pretty graphic. It's pretty graphic. That's exactly the word I was looking for. Graphic. 
Anyway, so you see uh, profile really in the panel right next door to that Vulcan uh, helmsman. And then you see a facial shot towards the bottom. Actually, his hair. Oh, right. Actually, his mustache is a little bit more towards core. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah, just no, I can see out. it. I didn't notice him at first, but now, yeah. now I see him. Yep. And you are correct. I don't see him very. I don't see him at all through the rest of it, though. No, it's pretty much just that page, I believe. I kept thinking that the Andorian that was on there was the Andorian that uh, that left the Enterprise to retire a few oh, issues him? ago. But then I had to remind myself, oh, no, he retired. He didn't just yeah. transfer to the Custer. Yeah, and he was an older guy, too. Right. This well. guy – I mean it's supposed to – they were saying, what, this is a uh, fresh out of the academy crew or something? They made some references to that. Oh, okay. A young crew. Anyway, inexperienced crew. I believe it because that guy is nut job. Yeah. <laughs> he probably would have displayed his nut jobbiness before now if he was uh, a seasoned officer. Right. He doesn't even know what a Corbinite maneuver is. Oh, he does. He Actually, he kind of pulled it off kind of okay. I mean, but obviously the uh, the Romulan commander was experienced enough not to not to buy it. But. Yeah, that's one of the things I did kind of like. That uh, I mean, it kind of poked fun at some of the Kirk moments where right. he would have gotten away with something like that. When exactly, he shouldn't have. There's no reason why some of that stuff should have ever worked. Yeah. So, and the thing is, in the end, with the Corbomite maneuver, it's like, well, the alien wasn't really trying to hurt anybody. Whereas if it was a Klingon or somebody like that who really wanted to do you harm, it might not have worked. You know, I never really thought about it, but the Corbinite maneuver actually kind of works both ways because in essence, the alien was also performing a Corbinite maneuver because he had the puppet um, – the puppet – Right. Baylock that, or whatever. Yeah, Baylock, and he, he really was that little guy sipping some tranya. <laughs> yeah, right. So I never really thought about it, but they were both kind of performing their own a little corporate maneuver. Corbinite maneuver. Wow. Yeah. Man. Wow. That was, not, that, those wow. episodes work on so many different levels. You don't catch them all at once. Yeah. <laughs> even decades later. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, even the even the Eden one, we 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 learned something new that that he, the hippie, was actually Herbert. Whew. I mean, he wasn't the Herbert. He was the Herbert. No, he wasn't. He was the Herbert that caused all Herberts. Watch the episode. Listen to Spock. Spock is right. Yeah, Spock, when has he ever gotten anything right? <laughs> uh, like every episode? Anyway. Anyhow. That's all I have to say about this one. All right, cool. Because I'm really looking forward to my favorite one. Hey, don't, Number three. Don't, don't badmouth the bachelor party. Uh, bachelor party. Where's Tom Hanks? All right. Nobody's going to get that. Uh, if you're, people are older, they might. Maybe. The youngins won't. You know, I never did watch that movie all the way through. Um, I'm pretty sure I did, but it was so long ago. So painfully long ago. Yeah, I mean, how, how old was Tom Hanks? He was like in his late 20s or something? Uh, Mid-20s? 
Maybe. That was like one of his first movies, right? I think that was one of his first movies after. I think that was uh, right after. Boys and Buddies? Well, before, even before that, he had a, a guest star on uh, Family Ties as, ah. as the the dad's brother, alcoholic brother, or something like that. Oh, you okay. You don't remember those? No, I don't. Yep. No, I don't. Good stuff. Great stuff. Okay. All right, so we're going to move on to issue 48. This one is entitled, and it's a, it's a long title, not just called Bachelor Party. Kind of disappointing. It's actually called The Stars in Secret Influence. And this came out March of 1988. Uh, there's a new writer, a gentleman named, uh, I think it's Peter David. <laughs> Peter David. Never heard of him. Uh, yeah, I think this is the only one he ever wrote. <laughs> Just kidding. All right, uh, Tom Sutton is the penciler. Ricardo Villagran, inker. Uh, Helen Vesic is the letterer. Michelle Wolfman, colorist. And Robert Greenberger is the editor. So uh, the cover shows the caption, Bachelor's Party, or Bachelor Party, which is what I think the issue should actually be called. Um, and it shows a green-skinned Orion woman with a one-piece bathing suit type get-up uh, dancing on a table. Everyone is sitting around her either drinking, enjoying the view, or fighting each other. Looks like a fun time indeed. So somewhere, a Klingon outpost is being attacked by a Miranda-class Federation ship. Meanwhile, on the Enterprise, Chekhov and Scotty literally drop a burlap bag over the unexpecting Conum, and they drag the Klingon to a surprise party. The whole crew, looks like the whole ship is there, including a diminutive little crew member who I believe might be the first appearance of Keenzer. Everybody is enjoying the non-alcoholic punch that Bearclaw was in charge of making. And Bearclaw makes sure to point out that he did not put any fire water into the concoction in honor of the trouble that his ancestors once had with the substance. That, plus Kirk ordered that there be no alcohol. Scotty, McCoy, and Chekhov all take it upon themselves to secretly spike the punch. Over the course of the party, they all succeed pouring in various liquors into the concoction. No one notices, and everybody drinks very heavily. Some little robots soon arrive, and they bring a huge cake. A green Orion woman pops out and starts to dance for Conum. The woman performs the most erotic lap dance for the Klingon that you can do while Scotty belts out tunes with the bagpipes. After the dance is over and the whole crew are now drooling over this dancer, she removes her wig and becomes Ensign Bryce herself. The bride-to-be is the dancer. Ahura, Sherwood, and Maress are all watching from the wings. McCoy invites the ladies to join the festivities. Maress and Sulu have a good time flirting with one another. And then he invites her up to his place for some poetry lessons. Mares caresses his face with her tail and accepts the offer. But I do not think poetry is what's being planned. Meanwhile, Bearclaw, drunk from the booze, starts a fight with Conum. The fight soon breaks out with everybody within the whole party 
suddenly becoming racist and swinging at each other. Kirk picks this time to join the party, and he's knocked out by a flying bottle that Bearclaw had thrown at Conum. Scotty, proving that he's not a doctor by any means, checks on Kirk and then proclaims him dead. Later, a bandaged Kirk is lecturing everybody for a good two pages about how disappointed he is with the crew. His speech is interrupted when Spock contacts the captain and says they are receiving a distress call from a Klingon science outpost that's being attacked by a Federation ship. Next, Federation and Empire. Bum, bum, bum. Da, da, da. Okay, so getting back to something you mentioned in the last issue about will we see Commander Penn and the Cluster again, at the time that we were talking about that, uh, I forgot that the opening of this issue showed another Miranda class, or some people call Reliant class, a Starfleet ship. And that's the one that's attacking right. the Klingon outpost. So uh, We don't I, know if it's the Cluster, but I, it is a yeah, Miranda class ship. Exactly. So quite a coincidence if it isn't the Cluster. Uh, right. I, I, don't but, think, I don't think it is the Cluster, but it, it is quite a coincidence. You do think it's a coincidence? Yeah. Well, do you think it's the Cluster? I mean, it could go either way. Well, I mean, I don't know why he would be attacking Klingons this time, especially exactly. peace-loving Klingons that are just trying to do some science stuff. Right. Supposedly unarmed. Did they say it was unarmed? Uh, I don't know what they say. Yeah, yeah which, I think the woman at the end says they are. Yeah, which is like, I can't – I don't care if it's a research post or not. I can't see the Klingons having anything that didn't have armaments, but whatever. Right. right. Um, yeah, so it should be interesting to see where that goes. Uh, and by the way, is that is that thread that they just tease you with at the beginning of this have anything to do with the name, the title of this issue? The Stars in Secret Influence? Or is that supposed to be the booze? Are they talking about the booze in the influence? I have no idea. I don't know. Like I said, I, I didn't really catch what the, the reference was. I kind of like the title just because it's you know a long title kind of like some of the other star trek episodes you know, right city at the edge of forever you know that kind of stuff that right uh, by itself doesn't really make any sense yeah but at least you know at least most of the taz episodes you can kind of figure out what the title means once you see it right it has some relevance right but this but secret influence yeah that'd probably be the booze i would think <laughs> but extremely poetic right um yeah, I mean Peter David comes in. He, he's he's showing us that he he knows Star Trek. Yeah. So uh, Kinzer. Yeah. <laughs> Your reference to Kinzer. Yeah, could be him. You don't know. He looks like a little teddy bear, or something. <laughs> well, so does Kinzer. Well, okay, hold on a second. No, I'm kidding. Kinzer's not... a little a little lizard guy or something. Right. This guy's a little pig guy. Well, okay. he's, a, he's about the right height. Yeah, I agree. The first time you see him, he looks like a little pig guy. Right. And he's about Keenzer's size. But then right. later on, like when Nancy takes off the green wig and stuff, um, there are two little guys. And one of the guy is, guys is sitting on the floor, sipping on a – And he looks like a, a chipmunk something. I don't know. Yeah, he looks like Alvin or something. 
And then there's another guy who's short who's standing up behind him. You see his back. And he kind of looks like a rat or something, some rat guy. Right, right. So they're into little guys of various yep. flavors. You're a married guy. I'm sure you had a bachelor party. Uh, your wife danced for you? No. No, <laughs> no, no. That's kind of weird, right? It's kind of weird. But if, you know, it's the old thing. You've seen stories before where there's been like a bachelor party and sometimes, you know, usually comedy kind of things. And then right. somehow the uh, the bride and the and and her attendants or whatever somehow crash the uh the party right so it it's very much an existing is it trope is that a sure. right word to say trope. I don't know. yep that would work um so that part of it isn't unusual in stories in reality probably doesn't happen that much now right and he 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 kisses her or she kisses him at one point while she's still in the uh, guise of being the dancer yep she lands on him. She she launches herself onto him. Right. And and they're kissing. So well, he has nothing. He can't well, do anything know. about it. He's not fighting her off. What? Okay. <laughs> Mind you, we only see it in one, one panel. One panel, right. And Konam is, just, is sitting there with his hands down. And she is just tackling him. And then he's like... I knew it was you the whole time. Yeah. And I'm exactly. like, did you really? <laughs> no. No, he did not. <laughs> and look at his face. He looks kind of worried that, you know, right. I'm kind of lying. I hope I don't get caught. Oh, yeah, I knew the whole time. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, and just, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just the Puritan in me, but I'm like, you should not be dressed like that. And I don't wouldn't want to see my wife dressed like that and dancing around in front of everybody. No. Are you kidding? So I don't know. But again, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm not necessarily the majority or my opinions don't have to be law by any means. Although I wish it was. Yeah, if it was, boy, this place would be better. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm just saying there's nothing wrong with what she's doing. I mean, but it's just like I, it would just be awkward. Yeah. I agree. I agree. And then the the ladies joining the party they they get drunk fast, yeah. especially Morass, because she doesn't seem to be there that long. And then she's like hiccuping and like flirting with Sulu and going right. up to his room. Well, you'll notice that McCoy, Doctor McCoy, is there with a drink ready for him. Oh, that's right. Oh, the more the merrier, Ensign. Here, have some punch. Now I've had spiked punch before. Okay, and. You can taste it. You can taste the alcohol. Oh, of and course you can. And we're not talking about just one liquor now being in it. There's at least three yeah. different liquors. Yep. And nobody notices that it tastes a little funky. Again, this just remind. This is another trope. Yeah, another sitcom type thing. Exactly. It's like, you know, in comedies, you stretch reality for humorous effect or, you know, entertainment value. So that's all they're doing here. But I completely agree. Right. It's kind of hard to accept. So I enjoyed the whole sitcom feel. Um, I mean, I know I'm bashing it and stuff like that, but I, I thought it was funny. I liked the alcohol thing. I liked the cake thing. I liked it being Bryce, blah, blah, blah. 
I mean, it it worked for what it was, right? Yeah. It was a, it was a comedy. Um, the part I didn't like was, I mean, it seemed a little racist at times. I mean, uh, Bearclaw bringing up that uh, you know, alcohol was Native Americans couldn't drink alcohol and and all that stuff. I mean, I mean, I know that that did happen to a degree, but but it's a stereotype. It's a stereotype, right? Yeah. And it's a negative stereotype. Yeah. To think that no Native American can drink or they go crazy or whatever. And, and, and I thought that was a little odd that he would say that. And then later when everybody gets drunk and starts fighting, they're, they're all being very racist. I mean, they're calling Rx octopus guy because he has three legs or whatever. <laughs> Just like <laughs> – I mean, I know now they're being racist to fictional races, but it's still like not very Federation-y and Starfleet-y. No. Where, I mean, what did you think? Did you think that was a little too much? Uh, a little bit. I actually kind of re- responded to it. My my first blush at it, I actually responded positively towards it because it was uh, an acknowledgement of a problem that was real, if maybe not universal. Um, so it was like, oh. Oh, You're talking okay. about the al- the alcohol in the Native Americans? Yeah, issue. Right? Okay, because right. they were they weren't used to it. Sure. Um, whereas Europeans, oh yeah, we had a long time to get used to it. Anyway, so that's uh, that's last of my comments on this one. Yeah, I don't have anything else either. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. So what do we do next week? Next week will be two forty eight, and we're going to do a crossover. I've been looking forward to. The DC IDW crossover series, uh, Star Trek and the Legion of Superheroes. Cool. Okay, so I don't know much at all about the Legion of Superheroes, but uh, I'm looking forward to finding out some about them. Yeah, you'll like them. They're cool. Okay. Bunch future of teen thing. superheroes in the future. Okay, okay. What's so... to go wrong? <laughs> exactly. I hope Bouncing Boy's in it. Bouncing Boy? Okay. Yeah, and Metal Eating Lad. And uh, <laughs> arm fall off, boy. No, no, that last one must be a joke. Nope. Google it. Arm fall off, boy. Yes. So his superpower is his arms fall off. Yeah, and then he and does he like over. throw the arms at people? Yeah, sure, and beat them with like clubs. Yeah. <laughs> but with what? <laughs> the arms are off. He only pops one off at a time. Don't be silly, Ken. Oh. Okay, okay. Good point. <laughs> I'm pretty sure those uh, more ridiculous ones from the 60s will not make an appearance in, in this crossover, but one can only hope. Uh, exactly. I'm sure they have some other more uh, run-of-the-mill or more less wacky right, members right. of the team. Okay, cool. Well, thanks for joining us, everybody, on The Review. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name stcomic. Second name, book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review.
Let's get the hell.